I'm Christian Humes. I'm Elmer Najam. And you're listening to Watch World. And today, we are not joined by John Paul Murphy because he is away in France, but we are still going over Season 2, Episode 6 of Westworld, titled Phase Space. Omar. Hello. You are a television recapper, podcaster yourself. You've gone over a series called Buffy and Angel. That's correct. That's correct. Would you like to introduce yourselves to our dear people before we jump into Phase Space? Sure. Hey, how's it going, everyone? I'm Omar. I love television. I uh, was a huge Lost fan back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also, I really like Westerns and uh, genre-specific movies. So Westworld is just... I'm really excited to talk about it this week. <laughs> well, that's great, because on this week's episode, we have... A lot to break down. No more than any other episode of but Westworld. It's but there's uh, a lot yeah. going on. Yeah, there's there's a lot of story in this episode. You know, in more more recent episodes, maybe two back, there were a lot of theory elements that yeah. popped up where they were giving us a lot of information about the world. Whereas in this one, it was like, okay, we're letting those elements play out now. We're seeing what everyone's doing on the chessboard because now we know where all the pieces are currently and it's so uh it's so ingrained in the character's emotional decisions as well which i really like it's not like a plot thing where it's like we have to get one thing to another thing people are making decisions for specific reasons and i was like very emotionally affected (laughs) by Mm -hmm. everything that happened in this episode so omar if i said the term to you phase space which is the title of this episode what do you think that means i would say it's the space between two phasers that would be my best <laughs> guess. That would be like the only guess I would offer up. So if you Google it, which the titles of all of these episodes have been pretty important. They've mm-hmm. all sort of told us a lot about what's going to happen. It is a multidimensional space in which each axis corresponds to one of the coordinates required to specify the state of a physical system. So think of like a star chart. Okay. Um all of the coordinates being thus represented so that a point in the space corresponds to the state of a system. So this probably has more to do with uh, polygonal shapes. Okay. And maybe think of a three-dimensional maze as opposed to a two-dimensional maze. Okay. So up and down, side to side. And now, yeah, and in and out as well. So you've Ooh, got right. a, an additional axis. So this is it's less of a drawn map that we've seen for the maze in season one, whereas now we're seeing there's more dimensions to it, which many of us would assume this revo- responds to the cradle. Right, right. Where now Bernard's going into the maze. He's not just looking back into his past and thinking about his future. He's actually entering into the world of these like shared minds. Right. So. Wow. Okay. Very cool. Good good titling. Yes. Good title very good. Game. I, I wonder who, I mean, I'm sure it's the writers, but there's probably a lot of fun and debate over episode titles. I would love to see at the end of a season, like all of the scrap titles. Yeah, the, the ones episodes. that didn't make it. Yeah. yeah. Like what were your other options for phase space? Because there's probably a couple that are like corny, like, Enter the dog on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> the dog the dog barks for the cat's cradle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's actually that wouldn't be bad because cat's cradle is that string game that's like, true that kids would, be would good. play and it's sort of like a map. That actually wouldn't have been terrible. A bad one would be like Bern- Bernard stay out. Yeah. Just like really like gimmicky, silly. Cradle Westfield. robbers. Yeah. <laughs> cradle to the grave. Like, 
<laughs> There's some bad ones we could definitely cook up. Okay, okay. Hello. I don't, I won't need to boost it because we're not in a smaller space. All right. So let's start out top of the episode. Yes. There are no new characters that I believe we need to go over for names in this episode, um, except there was that new head of security. He isn't running the like military sort of industrial system, like the the military team that came in, but he is definitely a part of that team. They paratrooped in. We see him meet Stubbs later. Um, But other than him, there aren't any new real characters for this episode, which was nice. Yeah, uh, they're just like the task force, right? There's new Maeve, I guess. Uh, Yes. Right? There's new Maeve. Uh, Who I believe is credited as New Mom, right, in the credits. I was looking at the end. And oh, I think her character name is New Mom. So when you're flipping through the script, it's like she hears a maybe hears a voice. She turns around. There's New Mom. <laughs> and I think this new guy's name is Coughlin. Coughlin. So that guy is Coughlin, but we don't need to worry about that. And I like to, you know, have those things out there. So yep. that now when we discuss them, the episode starts out a little bit different than I anticipated because the preview for this episode was heavy Bernard, heavy cradle. Yes. And we got very little of that in this episode. That's all tail end. Yeah. That preview for this week was such a tease. I was a little saddened by it, but it it looks like we'll finally get it next week unless the previews are screwing with me again. So it starts out in a 2.39 by one ultra widescreen aspect ratio. And we see Dolores and Bernard doing their talk yeah their check-in yeah that bernard always did with dolores so do you remember when this conversation actually happened what this conversation was between them uh ooh, what a great question it um you know what i don't so we've seen we've seen a couple of their sort of asides yeah i remember in season one we had a whole bunch I actually rewatched most of season one over uh-huh. the last week. And wow, the first episode telegraphs a lot of what's going to happen in season two. Oh, really? Yeah, there's so many things. I highly recommend if anyone has the time to go back and rewatch at least the first episode of the series again, because just there are so many things. Maeve speaking in Chinese, the Ooh. high scene, uh-huh. uh, a lot of stuff about Anthony Hopkins talks about Lazarus uh-huh. coming out of his cave. There's There's all of these foretellings of this season of the show in that first episode that's I so think good it's gonna happen throughout the rest of the series and there's probably a lot of information that we don't know they're telling us something yet until we get that extra info later and we'll be able to go back and be like oh it was here the whole time it right in front of us so in the finale of season one we f- we see when arnold decides it's time to have himself killed yes and he's gonna go and he's gonna put wyatt inside dolores that is the conversation that they're having mm-hmm. because she stops him and he sa- she says, no, that's not what you said after he responds to a question. And yep. she freezes him and she says, he never questioned whether or not we had the autonomy, the authority to... The agency. Yeah, the yeah. agency to make these decisions. He just decided whether or not we should make this decision. Right. And... That's actually what happened was he was like, I'm not sure what to do. He was like, but I think I, I think I know what I have to do 
Whereas in this conversation with Dolores, he's like, I'm not sure what you right. should be doing. Oh, that's so good. It was, I usually watch uh, Westworld at my friend's place because it's such a fun show yeah. to watch with friends. Yeah. And uh, because I had gotten back late last night from some stuff I was actually watching on my iPad. So when it started, oh. I thought, oh, I, his television must just correct. I didn't realize oh, that they. Oh, yeah. And I, I couldn't. And I was like, season one didn't look like this, but maybe I'm missing something. And it was such a it was so great to because I was like, this is so cinematic, mm-hmm. like so classic Hollywood, like Ford directed this episode cinematic. <laughs> And then when it cut to the next scene, I was like, oh, oh, we're playing with aspect ratios now? Yeah. Great. Yeah. And it's something you might not catch at first. I actually didn't notice it until they go into the cradle later. They do that again. Yeah. But I didn't notice it because just I was so invested in paying attention to every little thing they were saying yep. that I was not paying attention to what they were telling us on screen. Acting is between those two is superb. Yeah. Like that acting pair is incredible. Jeffrey Wright is a breakout star. I mm-hmm. will not be surprised if we start to see him in a ton of movies and much bigger roles than he's had in the past now. Yeah. Which I don't think anyone here would be complaining about. There's, uh, I want to make sure I don't forget it, but there was a reference to something else he did in this episode. Oh. Yeah. Like a, a previous role? Yeah. Oh, is it his Hunger Games role? No, no. Oh, okay. So well, then I'm cu- I'm curious as to what that's going to be. Yeah, when we get to that it. beat, I'll say it. I'm just going to drop that. That's a little that's a little uh, episode one teaser that I'll later pay off later, much like the writers of Westworld. So the only other thing I have to say about this sequence between them talking is we did see when they met for the first time now that he's aware he's a robot, that he's a host. Yes. She was like, you are not Arnold. She's like, I know who you are. I knew the real man. Yeah. And so now that she has access to all those old memories, I'm wondering if she remembers doing fatality tests for Bernard. Oh, is interesting because this is because she is breaking the this is uh, just to project, even though I know we're going like yeah. through the episode. Um, she's in the cradle. Yeah. OK, great. I mean, that's our assumption. Is and that she's this going is taking through place memories. in the cradle. Yeah. Which then it's like. How much of the host mind are they wirelessly backing up to the cradle all the time or are they actually in the cradle and they use these hosts like avatars? Like how, how does it all work? Or is the cradle just a backup and they they do like local backups from time to time? That was my assumption was that anytime a host comes back into the main area, um, they get backed up to the cradle. Mm. That's what I thought. Or maybe least. like between large iterations or narrative changes. Right. Kind of like how Disneyland sometimes just like cleans out like a ride. They're just like, we're shutting down Peter Pan today because we just want to do maintenance. And this is how Maeve would have been reborn and how Hector would have been reborn in Shogun right. World. They would have taken those backups and then duplicated them and just made some narrative changes. And then just dumped them into the little robot brains. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. It was very different. We're gonna get we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get <laughs> But uh yeah, I mean we have to assume it's all taking place in the cradle. Yes. Where she seems to have, at least within the cradle, full awareness of who she actually is right and she's got a sense of control over it as well Mm -hmm. which is really nice it was so cool yeah it was very cool and it makes me wonder who she's reporting to or if 
Anthony Hopkins if Ford was just monitoring this. Right. You know, he was taking maybe the last moments. I guess I guess the way it would work is the last real moments other than his death would have been that conversation with Dolores. And so since we know all the hosts record everything, all Ford would have had to do is to look at that conversation and then have him keep repeating it until he got as he was building his like perfect version of Arnold, his Bernard. Oh, I see. I can see that. You know, this is how he was testing it was through that final conversation. Because Dolores spent probably like from what we can tell the most time with Arnold. Yes. Right? Yep. So that would make sense. If he wants to get Arnold's if he wants to get um if he wants to run the fidelity test, that's how you do it. I feel like now I need to go back through the whole series and look for every time black bars were up. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I bet there were one or two other times and not too many, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were prior to this episode and we just missed it. Because we were just like, it's a Western. Right. It's just a Western shot. All right. So from there, we go to Teddy, and he's in Sweetwater. And he walks up to the can, repeating his narrative, and then bends down. Except, twist, he doesn't pick up the can because that's what he, good version that's of what him good would have done. Did, yeah. Instead, he picks up a bullet. And then we see cut to the player piano, but Dolores is playing the piano. I love that. It was amazing. That was so well done. I mean, it's great symbolism. The whole thing with the player piano is like, oh, these hosts are just machines. You know, someone else is writing their story and they're just playing them out. But now she's the one playing the piano herself. It's like she's come full circle. It's very obvious. It's not subtle, but it still works wonderfully. And it obviously we'll see later in the episode gets mirrored. Also, the image of a host walking around with all these bodies in the chairs while she was, like, pulling out her fan and kind of, like, checking in on one or two of them was so eerie and beautiful. Like, this season has gotten that creepy imagery down so well where it's, like, they are a new form of life, but also they're still robots and a robot not quite getting that these humans are just dead in the chair. And what's weird to me, and this is something I was thinking about recently, we've seen like host bodies being dead in in what feels like a long time they're sitting around. Right. But I I assume all this actually has to be taking place over a short period of time because they actually have mostly human organic bodies. They would rot. I uh, yeah, because there was uh there was one or two references in the last few episodes of like. I mean, not to get so grim, but like decomposition, which we can use as like a timeline. Yeah. And we would need to because the first season, as I rewatched it recently, Mm -hmm. it feels like it takes place over a week max. Oh, you know what? That makes sense because you're you're crushing like five timelines. Mm -hmm. So that does make sense. It takes place so quickly. In fact, knowing everything that happens in it now and rewatching it, it feels not confusing at all right in a way that i almost felt a little stupid i was like right. i was like oh they just told, they told us a very clear cohesive straightforward story the whole time and we were they still were, squabbling about and, it on yeah Reddit. we're all like what are we and this season's gonna end and we're, it's gonna be the same thing again we're all like sitting here trying to figure out what's going on but they're very honest with everything they're not trying to trick us i don't know i think we're tricking ourselves by looking into it this show is very occam's razor and i think that's the way we need to be kind of trying to break it down right jonathan nolan and lisa joy are both incredible uh but i 
specifically Jonathan Nolan, I feel like he is like taking his memento script and yeah. then just like making little origami swans <laughs> out of it and then being like, yeah, this, I got it. And then like the next season, like I'm going to make 10 origami swans. And then the next season, I'm going to make a hundred origami swans out of my memento script. And you know, like JJ Abrams is coming in like during like pre-production. He's like, Hmm, what if we did this like one? He's like, what if there was a box and he we didn't know what was in the box? He's he like, and we'll yeah. call that box the cradle. <laughs> he has to have a bullet journal of things. ABC said was too complicated for like prime time of yeah. stuff to throw yeah. in that JJ Abrams is just like now salivating and just being like, I want to throw this crazy thing in. I want you to do a train. Like, <laughs> yeah. He secretly always on alias wanted to have a season where the bad guys were actually robots. Like Sydney was replaced you by like know a replicant. Yeah. You know it. You absolutely know it. Yeah. <laughs> LMDs, right? Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. So Teddy and Dolores start talking. Yes. Very interesting conversation between them. How did you feel about, the way Teddy seemed really passive aggressive. It um I have two reactions. One is in world, which is I'm a little sad for Dolores. Even mm. though I know it's her doing, I get the sense and I think it's a beautiful performance that she didn't realize how much she would lose. And she's suffering with that sacrifice. It's good to have like a foot soldier or or like a second in command. She's got like a lieutenant there. But you could tell the second that he was like, whatever, let's go, that she was a little stung. The out-of-game out um, reaction I had was that I was so excited because this show has very similar um, qualities in terms of the general, maybe not necessarily themes, but approach as Dollhouse. But one thing I really liked about Dollhouse was that you got to see these actors shine with so many different performances. That was a great episode-by-episode mm. mechanic of Dollhouse, which is they would always play very different characters. And the second that we got to see evil Teddy, I I mean, we don't, I don't know. I, maybe that's over-labeling, but different. Yeah, it's just like aggressive Teddy. Aggressive Teddy. Aggressive I, Teddy. It's hard to see how much control maybe she really even has over him. Right, because he seems... Because especially when he... Uh, she, I mean, later he's doing really violent stuff against her own reckoning. Right. Um, And it was so great to see him get to play, to see this actor who's really good get to do that. Right. Because I, not that he was wasted, but I was like, he's doing a really good job, but you get locked in this role, and then this show could have the same actor playing very different characters. Like what we get with Bernard, where he's like flipping all over the place. And the second that we saw that with Teddy, I was like, you... Yes. Well, and what's interesting about that is in the first season, the two main hero characters are Maeve and Dolores. Right. They're both women characters. Mm -hmm. And they sort of swapped out a lot of the tropes between the men and the women in that way. Right. Where Teddy was sort of like the eye candy. He was the silent like partner that comes along and is a little apprehensive about things. And he's clearly like good. He wouldn't actually do anything bad, which is... Typically, the male character would have been in Dolores' position, and he was more of the female role. He was quiet. He didn't have a lot to say. They turned the trope around. Yeah. Yeah. But now he's actually becoming more into his own being. He's a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a real bicameral mind now. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And the more I keep thinking about it, I feel like Dolores is stuck in a narrative. She keeps, like, she's still stuck in this strange idea of, it's like she hasn't put together that there is this bigger world outside, 
and and she doesn't live like she's gonna be a part of that world because she's trying to get outside yes because she remembers it but the game she's playing though if we're using like the video game like mechanics yeah. i guess is like she has to get abernathy and so there is a there is a goal in place right and i don't a hundred percent i'm not sure if she has a hundred percent agency in choosing to pursue her father and the only the only thing to that is i bet she knows what's going on with abernathy Oh, and I that'll see be the reveal. But it doesn't feel like it. It feels like she's still stuck in the narrative in the way that we see Maeve lose herself in the narrative later. That's so true. So it was weird to see that because for me, the thing I've been expecting about Teddy, even though we know he's going to he's going to eat it. We see him dead, drowned in the water in the first episode. Yes. We see him in the bo- uh, pile of bodies in like the third, fourth episode. Yeah. So we know he's going to die or at least the body will. And. I was surprised by that because, to me, he had the best path to consciousness because Teddy only had two motivations. Mm-hmm. Destroy Wyatt, save Dolores, and she's both characters. So he had to make, like, a real choice. Yeah. And it was a real choice that was built around his narrative, and I felt like that would lead him in his own, like, journey through the maze. Mm-hmm. But now Dolores has sort of taken that from him in... It was weird that they did that. It felt like something I didn't expect. Yeah. It was good. And I really like the fact that Teddy remembers. Yes. I really like that where he's yes. like, you changed that. And I was like, oh, God, do you know that you were in it? Like, I thought he would wake up and just be like, I'm Teddy. Remember me? I'm mad all the time. But instead, he is so conscious now of his process, which is nice transparency on Dolores's part. That's a good leadership move, I think. Because if you find out that someone's been lying to you, that's where this whole problem came from with Westworld. But So the whole scene is pretty interesting. They're standing in front of the train. They've got one of the security guards. They've got the QA guy who has been, you know, kind of like cleaning him and repairing him, bringing right. him back to life. They kill the security guard after he reveals he can't help them find Abernathy. Yeah. And then we know they're going to get on the train. We don't know. What the hell did you think was happening here? I had no idea because I wasn't even fully sh- sure. You know what? As I'm saying it, I'm now realizing how dumb I am because <laughs> I, the, what I was about to say is I don't know where the train goes to. No, that's what I thought as well because I could have sworn the train eventually stopped out on its journey. That's what I thought, that they would keep going, I don't know, east, let's say. Or, yeah. Or west. It west. Matter, whatever, like everything yeah. was always headed west, yeah. right? So that's what I assumed is like they were going to go out into like the farther land. And now I thought they were going to go get the minigun because in the first season, when they got on the train, finally, they went and they got that minigun. Yep. Like they that was incredible, that whole scene. So I was like, oh, okay, they're going to go get some firepower. Yeah. But I guess the train does go back. It has to go back. That's (laughs) that's how you get on. That's how you get into Westworld. And they told us that because as the episode starts, Dolores says to Teddy, she's like, how many times did you come off that train? Yeah. And he's like, the people that came off that train, you know, like they, they're nobodies. They don't understand anything. Like they were destined to fail. Like those people that came here. And so of course, like if they're talking about coming, they're, they're on a return journey. Yep. But why would we think that? Because we've never seen the train go back in. Exactly. We've only seen it come out of the central hub. Which is a solid plan on Dolores' part. It's really a very good, good plan. Really good it's plan. It's a very good plan. So we leave there. We don't get to that right away. And 
we finally get to go see Stubbs. We get to go see Ashley again. Yep. And at this point, we don't know quite where we are in the narrative because we two weeks later, we know Stubbs is with Bernard. Yes. And Bernard has come across Hale again. Yes. But in this scene, they are not together. They're not together. Yeah, Bernard's not with them. So this is so Stubbs at some point met up with Hale, and that's after Hale caught Abernathy. Right. And that's also following Ashley escaping from capture. Yes. Right? Yeah. Because yes. then the we follow the daughter timeline. Yeah. Is Ashley Stubbs a host? Ooh. And has Ashley Stubbs always been a host? I don't think so. Maybe. Just. The, oh, God. The only reason I was wondering about this a little bit was they're, they've done the, like, human tests on everyone. Yes. And when they found Bernard, they were probably going to have to test him. Yeah. And Ashley, in the very first episode, is like, hey, this is the boss. What are you doing? And then they just kind of let him go. I wouldn't be surprised. And yeah, Ashley Stubbs in this scene is walking Abernathy in with Hale. And he feels bad. Well, and it's not just that. He's one hand, like, holding this guy and walking him forward. And it takes other humans. Right. The other humans, when they, they like, they basically, like a, like, a Jesus, like, crucifixion, like, they nail him down to a bed. Yeah. And they have, like, two dudes holding him while one guy's nailing him. Ashley was pushing him, like, MBD. Yeah. He's like, I got this. I got it. I think I chalked so much of that up to him being a Hemsworth, but I suppose, really, <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah, I would be surprised. What is the most we know about him in the future timeline? We know nothing. Right? Okay. We don't know anything about this guy, right? Yeah. And it's like, if you think about it, Ford had Ashley get brought out and get knocked out, but he didn't have him get killed. Never. Same with Elsie. So it's like, Ford clearly has a plan in place for Elsie and for... Ashley Stubbs. Right. And my guess is that it's to help and protect Bernard and guide Bernard and things like that. Right. Because uh, he would have just gotten Ashley killed. Like, if he thought that Stubbs would get in the way of the security breach and everything that was going to go down, he might have just been more concerned that Stubbs would have gotten killed during the massacre instead. And so wanted to take him out of play and brought him out to the Native American tribe so that he would be captured and sort of like put out of play for a little bit so that he couldn't undermine his plan yeah i mean it's not a definitive theory i I, i'm i'm entertaining it it's it's (laughs) It's in my back pocket it's in my pocket um so they have abernathy which we know in the future she lost him yes so it's kind of weird like how that's going on but she makes the call which is why we'll see the security guards come drop in and here's something I don't understand, and I, tell me what you think. When Bernard is with Hale, with Charlotte Hale earlier, and they first find Abernathy, and he's, like, tied up. Yeah. When Bernard goes, and he's, like, messing with him, and he's, like, trying to, like, convince him, like, go to the train, go to the train. Yeah. She's like, why don't you just cut his head off? She was like, why are we wasting our time? Just right. take his head. That's all we need. Yeah. Why isn't she doing that now? <laughs> I was, because she was, like, pin him down any means necessary but like you can't just yeah why they have take his legs off him they haven't extracted his head take his legs off him yeah like if you're worried about his neck or his spine or something take his legs off him i am confused about that 
Yeah, so there must be concerns about, and this, I think, lays more credence to the possibility that he has the mind of Delos in him, which is what a lot of us believe. Uh-huh. And if that's true, maybe there's concerns that, like, if that's an organic, like, red ball, like, if the body dies, maybe the brain dies. Oh, well, that would step up Bernard's situation, wouldn't right. it? Right. Yeah. So, it... Um, it's hard to decipher why that didn't happen unless it was just, I mean, sometimes you just have to write things in a certain way because they need to let the guy out. Yeah. Because we know he's going to escape. She's like, oh, he's not going anywhere. She says <laughs> to the security guy, yeah. which he's going to, he's going to go somewhere. We're going to lose him. But why? We don't know yet. Yeah. That's a typical, like, let's split up or like, well, at least it's not raining. Yeah. Like, why did you say that? It was it was so strange, and when the guy first lifted up what was basically a giant nail gun, I thought it was going to be like a bandsaw, and they were just going to take his feet That's off. That's what I assumed as well. Like, I thought it was going to be horrible. Yeah, he's not going to run anywhere. And if it's he still have really feet. bad, but They're, it's maybe just make him a stump. Yeah, they like, no, they were like, we're just going to nail him to the. It was very chair. strange. Yeah, very, I'm kind of hoping, as baroque as it would be, mm-hmm. uh. I want to see him just kind of like waddling away with like the chair on his back, just like running, running down like the it. hallway. He's just like, yeah, I'll take the chair with me. I'll take the chair with me. Yeah. Like a Scooby-Doo cartoon character, but just like <laughs> a lot more graphic. <laughs> it was Mr. Abernathy the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, the security guy shows up. They talk with Hale. They talk with Stubbs. And there was only one other piece of info about this that I thought was important to people to share. And I talked to you about this very briefly in the episode where we see Strand, who's the head of this military group. Yes. And he's with Bernard. Bernard's looking at all those dead bodies. That's like the farthest in the future I believe we've seen at this point. Yeah. When they pull the bodies in or gets the farthest, they're sorting through the bodies. Yeah. And he sees a picture of. The cradle, the cradle's been destroyed. All the ba- like the backups have been destroyed. That's right. All the backups are gone. So, during that sequence, we also sh- saw a shot of the map room. Yes. Which they just they get back up during right. they, this episode. They got it. And in that room is this lady with these like neon yellow green glasses. Yeah. Who we saw that lady dead in that episode in the future. In so the future. Sh- so shit's gonna go down. It might be what happens later in this episode. Right, it's right. probably all going to go down in the next week. Um, so that and that was really the only way I was able to place where we were. That was like I think a deliberate like we're going to have this character who's very easy to identify, so that you know where you are in the timeline. Yeah, hey, where where are these like Jubilee glasses? Yeah. so we can have... <laughs> we'll know we'll know it's you. Thank you, Jubilee. Underrated X Men character. I completely agree. She can shoot fireworks out of her hands. One of my absolute favorites. You're not supposed to even touch fireworks with your hands. <laughs> like, that's how insane that power is. It's amazing. I want her and Gambit to have, like, a spinoff, like, one-shot Who adventure. Who doesn't? Who God, doesn't? That would be huge. MCU. Coming soon. Yeah. July, just, like, a July 4th party in, like, New Orleans. <laughs> so, this was, like, the C-plot of the episode, even though we spent maybe the most time with them, and it was Maeve. Mm-hmm. Yep. I feel like we spent the most time with them, and in many ways, it was the least amount that happened as far as the overall story Because I guess they were the mostly show. concluding yeah. storyline stuff, but it was huge. So, we meet up with them after the fight, after this ins- what looked to be an insane 
fight. Amazing cinematography for that prior episode and on this one because when we open on Shogun World, there's just dead bodies and there's steam coming off them yeah. because it's cold. We know it's cold there. And so you see like the heat coming off of all the bodies. And like they've just finished fighting. Yeah. It looked like they had just finished Maybe fighting. covered in blood on yep. their face. Very cool. And yeah, everyone's just there. It goes to uh, such a sad, sad. Like I yeah. am so touched by the acting in this timeline or in this storyline. Everyone is doing an incredible job of emoting just enough, if that makes sense. It wasn't like please, it please cry. It's like they're the the actors are in the role and are unaware of like an audience being around. Well, so it's funny you say that because it felt a little from the humans' point of view, mm-hmm. almost like voyeuristic. Like anytime they shot Lee Sizemore, yeah, he seemed very. He seemed like he's finally maybe grasping everything that's happening. Right. He's been really ambivalent to give even an inch to the idea that they really feel and understand and make their own choices. Yeah, he's been so cynical to that idea. And in this episode, he makes sure he has a moment later with Maeve where it feels like he he's disappointed in the decision she makes. Yeah. And I think it's because around here at the start of the episode is where he's really believing in their life and yeah in, in their uh ha- what what did dolores say at the beginning in their uh agency yeah in their mm-hmm. own agency yeah and later we see him sort of like lose that spark again so he's still sort of going through that and then of course you know you've got lutz and yep. uh sylvester sylvester seems into it he is i think he just I think it's also a matter of he hates, and this is something maybe a lot of us feel, he dislikes humans yeah, more than he... He's like Elsie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's just like, no, I don't. He seems like he wishes he was a host. I, I think so. A little bit. He's just like, oh, you guys have, like, I got to go back to work after this. He really <laughs> admires Maeve. He does. I don't know if he feels the same way about a lot of the other hosts, but he really seems to admire and get behind Maeve. This storyline really helped me in my head align how i feel and how invested i am with the host stories yeah because seeing Maeve empathize with another with a stranger essentially really helped like seeing that they empathize made it huge for me and in and in many ways they were as far from being a stranger as possible because they were clones of them yeah but it also challenges her to accept that even though this person is built from the same framework that you were built from, literally from your framework, right? she still sees her as her own being. She allows her to make her own choices. Right. And the fact that like you can copy um, a personality in the, in the background um, and they will have a different outcome was really interesting was really 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 interesting i thought that was really cool it wasn't even just like a just a clash of cultures yeah it was like a cool like if you had a clone and displaced the clone but had similar programming how would the events of your life affect you and the fact that they stay well and that's what's great so i i think i had maybe like four particular things Mm -hmm. about this whole scene in shogun world Mm -hmm. and everything that happens here and then if there are any others 
as well. You tell me what we miss here. But the first was we see uh, Akane. We see her go and cut open Sakura, her yeah. sort of adopted daughter. Right, right. And remove her heart. Mm-hmm. That was brutal, right? Yeah. I didn't. I wasn't exactly sure what was happening. I either was I. I was like, I don't know what's going on right now. And that was, and then Maeve ripping off her, like looking down and and quickly ripping off her sleeve and being like, "I'm in. I want to help. Let's do it. Here you go." Yeah. No judgment. She. It seemed more like she was trying to understand what she was doing, and then she very quickly got on board. She got it. She just got yeah. it. And that. Yeah. So I agree. That was amazing. Then they head back. Yep. And then the general, the old, the new general, right? Well, so so before before they get back, because they're headed to like a very specific place. Oh, actually, you're right. I I would have forgotten this scene. So because there was a sword fight. There was. There was. A, they have to go and they collect uh, Tanaka. Right. They have to go back and get the team that's being held captive. It was uh, Tanaka Hanayaro, I believe. Yes. Hanayaro. Um, she is the dragon lady the dragon, instead of the yeah. snake lady, who I'm pretty sure her and the snake girl are hooking up. Right? They, I loved in, what was it, last episode where they were just like, he was like, no, you don't understand. If you do this, then things happen like that. And then you see them both looking at each other yeah, and mirroring each like other. And I was just like, like oh, yes. <laughs> I was like, I'm so 100%. I was super into it. This is narcissism I can get behind. Like, <laughs> So... Tanaka has a sword fight with the sort of sheriff, I guess he would have been. Yeah. And it's to free Tanaka, Hanyaro. Who else was with them? Was um, Lee? No. Lee went with Maeve. Oh, and Hector. So Tanaka, Hanyaro, and Hector. Hector. The three the three fighters, basically. Yeah. Oh, Ooh, that's and, a good point. Yeah. yeah. Like, they're, you know, they're bodyguards. And they... Um, and so, and it's also Akane, uh, yeah. to let Akane pass as well. And so it's this insane fight. God, it was, n- I honestly didn't know where it was going to go. I was very happy we got it because that lived up to, I think what we wanted out of Shogun World. There yeah. were a lot of small sword fights and a lot of hand to hand combat, but there was one, there wasn't like a lightsaber fight, right? No, this there was, wasn't yeah. that moment that we all wanted. And this was it because I actually thought we were going to get out of Shogun World very fast. Yeah. We spent more time there this episode than I expected, but it was all worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And I can see why they're like, we can't spend so much time here right. because it's going to be so expensive because if we up this, <laughs> like it's only going to get more beautiful. It can only get, we can only get more beautiful scenery. Like, right. <laughs> so what was important about this sequence was Maeve was just going to use her power. Yeah. And just let them all go. Yeah. And then, but then it became a matter of Maeve giving agency. Yeah. And I think it's an, an, a thing that's interesting in comparison to Maeve and Dolores because we saw that exchange a few episodes ago where Maeve was just like, oh, a revolution specifically under your word. And so we're seeing two leaders emerge out of this. My thing with John at the beginning of the series was I said Dolores, before this second season started, I was like, Dolores is going to be the bad guy. Dolores yeah. is John Locke. And Maeve is Jack. This is we're headed to like a Jack Lock oh, lost standoff. They are going to be on separate sides. They're very they're on the same coin, but they're separate sides of that coin. 
and we're going to flip back and forth between them. At some point or another, they're going to clash. That was J.J. Abrams' other bullet journal where he's like, here's the things I thought for lost. Here you go. <laughs> like, here's, here's what made my life easier. <laughs> like, here you go. Here's how I split it up. You in say my bullet head. journal, but it's like, it's like an old school encyclopedia. Like you need like a cart to carry it around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like huge. Yeah, it's like a yeah. Sam is like sorting through it in Game of Thrones. Yeah. But you open it and there's actually nothing on the inside. That's good, right? Like he's like only use this book when you absolutely need it. But like think about if you need this book. So like come up with all the ideas you need, and then like you finally open it. Like I think I just need one more thing. And it was. It was all in you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It was like Mr. Feeney's advice uh, to Corey's brother. Where he was just like, you want some good testing advice? Get some sleep. <laughs> so that was a big moment for Maven. It sets up the rest of the episode. And I imagine it's a theme we'll just continue to see throughout the rest of the season. It was good, too, because it's a great primer for limiting how often she utilizes I it. I liked it a lot. Because otherwise, she just becomes Neo, right? She's like, just she's OP. Just, yeah. And I'm sure we're going to run into limitations of her power. Like, I bet it won't work on Dolores. Oh, I can see that because Dolores' programming is probably evolving outside of yep. Maeve's ability. And because she's basically been given admin-level access. Right. You know? Right. Like, that's the only reason Maeve can do this. The other hosts couldn't—they could message each other, but, like, they have that capacity. They just maybe don't know how to tap into it yet. Yeah. But Maeve has given herself top-level access. It's she's, the, yeah, and she's got, like, Wi-Fi admin right. access, too. Yeah. She doesn't have to plug in. She, yeah, like, Maeve is a hotspot. Yeah, Maeve's a hotspot. <laughs> yeah, Maeve's a hotspot, which I still have some questions about, but we'll get to those specific questions a little bit later in Maeve's story. Oh, I think I think a lot of that was explained to us in the a couple episodes when ago. When they were crossing the river? No, in, in the first episode of the season, uh-huh. where ha- Charlotte Hale and... Um, Bernard are in the the first time we enter a secret Delos bunker. And we see one of the drones, right? That we, scene? Well, we see the drones, but Bernard says, you know, she's like, we have to find Peter Abernathy. And he goes, oh, okay. He goes, the hosts have a system in them so they can message one another. He says, I can send a message to the host and anyone that's near him will send a message to Abernathy so that we can find him. So okay. like, they can ping each other. Uh-huh. So it sounds like there is like a local so there is a- subsystem. Got it. And then we learned... In the prior episode in Shogun World, Lee says to Maeve, like, well, you all have the coding for these different languages. They're just in you. But Maeve's been given admin level access and her intelligence was shot all the way up. So she knows how to look for it. Because in season one, they hacked her. Right. right? Or she hacked yes. herself, I'll say. She, so she, she hacked herself. Yeah. And she so had she knows. Hacked. Like, yeah. it's just like computer code is another form of language. Right. And because she was a mistress, she knows all of the languages so with the lakota tribes if we can just jump ahead really quickly just answer this question she can't fully control them because she couldn't completely she didn't she didn't talk to them in anything but english the first time she didn't realize she was speaking the wrong language that's that was the problem got it got it got it there we go for the two listeners that didn't want to admit that they didn't get that yet yeah you're welcome you'll never tell anyone i'll take this one although we don't team i think that there might be something special going on with them i think ford might be utilized like they seem and it could just be a matter of their awakening and their own narratives and Native Americans having a lot, a uh, very different viewpoint of life and death and rebirth right. and their own journeys because the maze is a part of their actual backstory. Right. So right. they may actually just be looking at everything differently. So it's possible that even if she does speak their language, it won't work. But we don't know. We haven't seen it happen. Right. 
But given the info that's been given to us, it didn't work in Shogun World until she spoke Japanese. I Yeah, okay, great. And I really do hope we get a chance to spend more time with the tribe because if it's just like they're scary, scary oh, people, I know. that's not great. And and we're and they're not because they they let the humans go. Right. They, they just let, wanted to take. Or no, they let they let the humans and the hosts go. Well, it seems like they were to... killing the hosts because oh Emily, uh, the daughter of the man in black, who we're going to talk about very soon, she said to Stubbs something like, "They've been killing the hosts." and capturing us oh so like we don't know what's going on with them i'm really excited okay because they were such a huge mystery element of season one yeah and i think that they're still a big part of this backstory that we don't get fantastic maybe dolores understands that they're a threat which is why she's killing them because maybe they're like a part of Ford's system to kind of keep things in line. Because in like episode we don't really one of know. season two, she was specifically said not all of us deserve to make it, right? Right, and she doesn't think they do for some reason. Wow. So that doesn't look good, Dolores. No. Not yeah. A good no. Look. No. I mean, look, just just the fact of her hunting them down doesn't look good. No, no it's not. <laughs> it's not a good look for anyone. So there are a couple uh, last few things in Shogun World before we leave. Yes. That's it. Well, before they get to. They get to like a Japanese sort of tea garden. Mm-hmm. Very pretty, beautiful. We see Mount Fuji. Oh, that reveal because it reminded me. There's a place in the San Francisco Botanical Garden that's like a little bamboo forest, and you just get to get lost in it. And because it's San Francisco, you have like fog blowing through, and and the breeze is constantly shaking uh, all the bamboo, and it sounds just so nice. And so they're walking through, and so I on a meta level stepped out and I was like, Oh, I wonder where they shot this. This is really nice. This is like really pretty. And if it was a botanical garden, they had yeah. to be clever about the angles and that's really, and they stop and they're looking and I was like, still in my like filmmaker brain. I was like, yeah, so I guess you'd have to just like avoid like other, maybe like someone graffitied and you'd have to just like mass it out. And it cuts to the reverse shot and you see this beautiful, beautiful shot and then i like my filmmaker brain turned off and all i just could do is just like oh I, that's nice yeah <laughs> like, I, I, and it, it's just it's mount fuji yes it's not anything else which we've been seeing in the opening title sequence so for a second right maybe okay. it's possible there's so much that i, I missed there's that. so much <laughs> yeah you have to go for now i'm gonna have to go look for it i never even thought to look for that so now <laughs> now i'm gonna have to go look for it they uh so is that real? Oh, what a good question. It looked composed to me, but maybe they used real well, footage. Or, I mean, so the actual filming, like, whether or not that was a real Mount Fuji, like, it was probably, like, some sort of, like, it was composed. Yeah. It was definitely a composition. But I'm saying, like, in Westworld, is there actually a mountain? N- like, on that island? That's not possible. Is it? But it could be because there are mesas. There's like Westworld is huge, and it's Westworld has be. mesas. There's six of these parks. That's a lot to build Mount Fuji, right? Or so, and if it's not, then are they in some kind of Truman Show dome? Because that would ha- it would just be like almost like a um a, a background painting or have something you, like so that. So have you like have you seen the Truman show? Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of like the sky just ends. Like there's yeah. like ends up being like clouds on the wall and like before you can get to it it's like there's storms and stuff to keep people from going too far. Right. And then finally you get to the end. And so there's probably something like that with the Mount Fuji or are we led to believe that that's real 
and they're like because they're basically communicating one of two ideas to us they have the ability to put some sort of holographic image in place or they're communicating to us that this place is freaking huge this would have to be ginormous right like we're basically talking about like we're something like the size of like new zealand right like some people are thinking like oh it'd have to be as big as australia it wouldn't you you wouldn't need you could have a huge mountain without needing australia australia's uh just because uh, i've got some very good friends in australia it's the size of the u.s it's gi- it's it's huge it's like like in my mind i also squashed it because i think like our maps are like definitely yeah. like sort of imperialist but like it's if you put australia on top of a map of the u.s it's like coast to coast is like very similar it's it's a very so big place we wouldn't have to have a no. park the size of the united states because of america you have mount fuji in japan which is not the size of the united states <laughs> it's of america. probably like the size it's like probably the size of like the west coast japan. right right so you know it's it's huge it's not it doesn't have to be that huge and i don't know new zealand very topographically uh diverse it, everyone assumes this is somewhere in the sort of southwestern South Pacific. I mean, this is in this is like a sort of like future sci-fi show. Yeah. And in real life, we built um, Middle Earth yeah. in New Zealand. Well, and there were in the first episode when we meet Strand, mm-hmm. there are uh, these um, people from what looked to be a real military group, not the Delos military, yes. and they were Asian. Yeah. And they, they were definitely from somewhere in the South Pacific. So that, I yeah, because they looked almost like they were like some sort of like naval. The best guess or, is this is an artificial island, right? I would and not think a so. real island. I it's would, an artificial I island. I would think so. And so then it's like, do they have a dome? Wow. Is that why we don't see a lot of airdrops? Like, is that why no one takes a plane to Westworld? Ooh. Because the host wouldn't have a problem seeing a plane. They would just be like, oh, that doesn't look like anything to me. Right. And you could just do it at certain times over certain venues where people don't travel so that the guests wouldn't have their immersion deterred. Although so, Disneyland has a no flyover zone rule, right? Don't they have a thing about you don't oh, see I, I don't think that. you see planes. I mean, that's in entirely Disneyland. possible. But Disneyland isn't, I mean, you can walk from one right. side of Disneyland to the other. Dis- yeah, it still fits in Anaheim, <laughs> and Anaheim is not the size of Australia. So yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. you don't need a train to get around Disneyland from the parking lot <laughs> yeah. to, the, <laughs> to the main booth. I mean, they have one, but it is not a train that you could turn back around and send. <laughs> like, if you think about that, they actually take a train just from the hub world where yeah. you, like, enter Westworld just to the first town, and yeah. that is a journey. So that's how big this thing is. So it has to be massive yeah so maybe there's mount fuji so i i guess maybe each park is a, is the size of a state we can say like it's like a wyoming that's probably so accurate. six wyoming's i i see no way westworld could be smaller than like a new mexico right while we're talking about um the six parks really quickly yeah you know three of them so yes. far uh at one point they played seven nation army in the show they did a cover oh, of seven nation army secret, secret and i think there's a park. secret park because it it doesn't have to be open yet for there to be a seventh park. What if it's just California Adventure? What if it's just like actually just California Adventure? I mean, everyone wants Jurassic Park. Oh, it's gotta be. I mean, so if they go on the original Westworld movie, mm-hmm. it's there's a Rome world, a yes. medieval world, and a future world. There weren't six parks; there were five. So there was Samurai World, which is now Shogun, right. Westworld, Rome, Medieval, and Future, right? Which 
I'm going to rewatch that and the follow-up Future World movie because a lot of people on the internet are saying there's so much in Future World that this show should have been called Future World and not Westworld. Really? Yeah, so I'm going to have to go and watch that movie Let me know when you watch again. Future World. I'll jump in with that. <laughs> Maybe that'll be uh, – we'll do – a post episode of Watch World. Oh, that's good. Like after this season's done, where we talk about Future World. Get a little Yul Brenner in there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, who doesn't love more Michael Crichton? Um, people who are wrong. Yeah. Or I mean, like I don't know if you. I guess if <laughs> his like outside book stuff was like a little <laughs> storm was a little intense. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, that's true. But Jurassic Park is amazing. Classic. So is Prey. Happy 25th. I really like Prey. I love Prey. Happy 25th. Prey is freaky. I want a Prey movie. Prey is the kind of thing that, like, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw something like Prey show up in Westworld, which for people that don't know anything about Prey. Host drones. Yeah, it's a story about nanobot swarms that become sentient the same way hosts do. And they, the nanobots form into sort of like a whole body. So they look like people and they're walking around. Because, I mean, we're just a swarm of cells, yeah. you could say. Oh, that's really, uh, just to connect in the Zeitgeist world, uh, the thank you for requesting um, a cr- the acrylic that yeah. was made up of a bunch of beetles was Oh, prey. right. He was that in was, that a was swarm. <laughs> right. That's where I got that image from. Was, you know in the car when it was driving by in Prey? Yeah. And I was like, you, there was someone in the car with you. Like, there was no one there. And later they're like, oh, my God, it was a drone swarm. Yeah. yeah. If people want some supplemental reading to go along with their Westworld, you should check out Prey because Westworld wasn't a book, unlike other Michael Crichton right. projects. He, he was cranked the, out the movie. He, he wrote a movie because he wanted to make, I think, his other films. Like, he wanted to make maybe books into movies and yeah. things like that. And so he, he sold this as a screenplay, which is interesting that there's this whole series based off of what was actually just two movies. Mm-hmm. Instead of one of his books, which you would think is like really dense with a lot of things to pull from. So, and it, it's helpful probably in a lot of ways because it gives them a lot of places to go. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, okay. And there were, I'm going to, we got to get out of Shogun Rock because we're, oh, yeah. Let's, we're let's, so let's open up a grave tombstone and uh, climb out of it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they find, they find a ton of bodies yeah. over the Delos. Por- See, yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Shoot. Yes. It was it was like the garbage shoot in uh, A New Hope. Yeah. Sort of jumping down into. And it was like blood drained down to it. Don't know why there were so many bodies piled up there. It was terrifying. To, the, the idea of falling down that chute. Not fun. And I couldn't quite tell were those bodies hosts? Were they people? It was really hard to decipher yeah. what they were, who they were. Um, Tanaka decides to stay behind to protect his land. Maeve gives him that choice. She was like, but none of this matters. He's like... Uh, cowardice is a tin shield. Yeah, exactly. I love that line so much. That means a lot to me. Cow- like, uh, was it a man who doesn't... A man has no home if he doesn't defend his land or something was it like his lead-up line? And this is, I think, sort of one of the things that pushes Maeve to make her choice later. Yep. And then uh, Akin, Akane uh, stays yep. as well. Because this is where her daughter was. Yeah. She's like, this is where Sakura was. But Hanyaro comes. Yep. And she has the bow and arrows and the dragon face. And she's so cool. And I'm so excited that like their little guild is getting yep. a little bit bigger. Oh, it's so D&D. Yeah. It's my favorite. It's Western D&D. I'm absolutely in love with it. Because I want to just like, I know that they, once they get once they get a good sense of what they're doing. They even have a human now, too. Yes. I mean, this is fast-forwarding yes. a little bit. But we've even got a human player into it as well who is just a human. 
Like yep. Zach does only just has human traits. Um, but when can we jump to their yeah. being uh, back in Westworld, or is there a scene in between that? There might be in between. Let's see where we are. Um, there is a scene in between because they go down the chute and then we. Oh, so yeah, so. I mean, we basically put the whole Shogun world part together, um, and like there, there were some things in between. So let's go to the things in between before we get back right. to them in Westworld, and then we'll catch up. This was, this was my favorite part of the episode. Yeah, Man in Black, and his daughter together with Lawrence. Lawrence is becoming very quickly a favorite of mine. Where yeah. he wasn't. It's so funny. I so I, I told you I rewatched a lot of the first season. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't have time to watch all of it during the week, but I watched at least the first three episodes and the last two, and I sort of jumped through the middle parts of right. it. Right. Lawrence is in so much of it in the first season, <laughs> and I just forgot about that. Yeah, I forgot about it so much, and now I see he's so important to the Man in Black's journey. Mm-hmm. He's in it when he was young William, and when he was the Man in Black, and he was vital to both. No, parts. I didn't even. I need to go back to season one and think about that. Yeah. And it, it, John remembered it, and we've talked about it on this show a little bit, but actually seeing it again was very eye-opening to me. And it's making me realize Lawrence is going to be integral to his experience awesome. and his his journey, mm-hmm. because I still believe the Man in Black is a host. Interesting. I believe he's been replicated, and he's on his journey now to that revelation into consciousness, uh-huh. which is why Ford's like, this game is for you, because Ford doesn't make the games for anyone but the hosts. Ford doesn't care about the humans. Right. So I think ever since either either since Dolores' final part at the cemetery when she mm-hmm. completes the maze, she either killed him there or he died during the massacre and he was reborn as the host. Interesting. So I believe he's come back now and I don't think he's a person. I think he has completed the journey that Abernathy was on. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, that James Delos was on, right. which we believe is in Abernathy. I think he's actually completed that journey and he's a host and he does not know it yet. Do you, uh, do we know for a fact he's human and, Oh, cause Teddy tries to shoot him and can't. Right. So he's not, he was at least seen as human. Yeah. And I think he was, I think he was human in most of the first season until the end. Makes sense. So it was either, cause we see Dolores fight him and like breaks his arm. Right. Uh, when she completes the maze and Teddy shows up and fires at him in that scene, and he still doesn't get shot by Teddy. So he's still human there, but I think Dolores may have either killed him there or he died. He got killed. It would be very strange if he survived that massacre. Right. Because he's seen at the, like, away from where everyone's dining, and he sees all of Wyatt's men come out of the forest, and he already gets shot in the arm. Yeah. They're all running towards him. How would he have survived? Yeah. And then we see this season opens up, and he like throws a body off of himself. Yeah, and just gets in the up. midst of the massacre. Mm-hmm. He wasn't in, he wasn't there. He wasn't in the streets with everyone. Interesting. So sure, he could have run away and ended up in the streets, and then someone got shot, and he threw the body over himself to survive. Yeah, but I think there's, more, I think he's a host, and he doesn't know it. So he's talking to Lawrence. I just, I needed to put that out there with you because we're going to talk about. He thinks his daughter's a host. Mm-hmm. He doesn't believe she's real. Mm-hmm. So she, he talks to Lawrence. Lawrence is like, you didn't tell me your daughter was going to be here or anything like that. Like, aren't yeah. you afraid for her? And he's just like, she can handle herself. He seems very sure of his daughter. Yeah. And I was like, oh, she must be a huge badass. Yeah. But then she, you know, trots up next to him on her horse. 
very pretty scene, the two of them on their horses coming around the sort of like bend in a canyon. Mm-hmm. And he just talks to her like she's Ford. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was great where he's like, yeah, I get it. They, they, This is pretty dark or whatever. They turned you into a host. And then she's like, no, you're crazy, man. Yeah. she Like, he calls him Robert. He he's, yeah. he's just like, he's like, Robert, I can't believe you'd stoop this low. And she's like, you're nuts, man. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, 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 I'm sure. She's like, and then how'd you get here? You know, sort of things like that. Um, so was, he didn't buy into it at all. I yeah. didn't believe there. But then we see them together and... They're at the campfire, and this is after she already, like, sort of has shown, like, she sort of rattled him a little. Yeah. Because they're falling into a trap. The honeypot wagon. Yeah. They're falling into that trap, and somehow the man in black is just, like, he's a little too confident he didn't even notice it. Getting off his game. Yeah. And it's probably, he's rattled by the sight of his daughter, even if he doesn't believe it. But they have this campfire scene together, and he almost does, like, a fidelity test on her. Oh, yeah. This is how I read this. And I'm curious how you read it. But he says to her, like, how did you get here? She's like, well, I went to Raj World. And she goes, she goes, and then I remembered I was old enough for the Pleasure Palace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> his face, his face when she says he's that. He's like, oh, God. He's like, oh, I got, I can't. I just have to live through this. Yep. I deserve it. Yep. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I always remembered you loved Raj World. He was like, you're always afraid of the elephants. Mm-hmm. And she's and he's like kind of like teary a little bit, like yeah. remembering all of this. And then she says to him, like, "No, that, that was, was my mom. Yeah, that was mom who was yeah. afraid of the elephants." I read this as like he was testing her. That's good. I like that. You know, like for, he was seeing like whether or not this was really her or whether this was. A I'll host. say alternative. I'm not saying I disagree. I think the other opportunity the other opportunity is that he has he's more conscious and spends more time in the parks than he does with his family and is able to remember the yeah yeah um, but i like the idea of him doing a fidelity test i like that a lot and if if it wasn't a fidelity test i think when she corrected him is when he realized she was real yeah because, regardless that's yeah. like a memory you can't like she was right which at the same time although it makes me wonder are they trying to fake us out? Because anything that happens in the park, Ford would know. That's true. Oh, that's so weird. So is this? Are are they actually trying to trick us, in some ways? That is so weird. I think she's real. Yeah. This was a moment of revelation for him, and they have a quick discussion about what she wants, and she apologizes for blaming him for the death. Yeah, that's huge. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Now she. It's brought up that. She says, like, her mom died in the bathtub, right? Oh, and it was a pill overdose? Yeah. But we saw that there was, like, blood in the bathtub. So that's what I thought, too. But I think that it was actually a red tub. Oh, okay. Well, that's a little misleading. Yes. Also, who has a red tub? That's a great question. (laughs) I I don't know. If you're that rich, you got to mix up your tubs. You probably got a lot of tubs. You got a lot of tubs. You, you You get them, like, the... The big mixers, you know, the really nice colorful right, mixers. Right, right, the KitchenAid. Kitchen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just have, like, you have the red one, you have the blue one. Yeah. You probably have a lot of houses. Yeah, so that was in the red house. I mean, he he has to be the richest person in the world. I think so. Right? 
He must. He invested in Westworld forever so, ago. He's the owner. Yeah. So he's the boss. He must be the big guy. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot more that happens between them except he leaves her. He totally ditches. Yeah, he promises that he'll leave with her. Yeah. She'll get him out. She doesn't want him to die there. She's like, the only thing I want is for you to not die here. She's yeah. like, I lost my mom. Like, even if we're not close, like, I shouldn't have to suffer, like, letting you just go and kill yourself here by some robot. Yeah. Also, I love the fact that, like, she's like, this is just a, a game. Right. Like, this isn't real. She's like, just right. get back out in the real world. Like, you're hiding. You're so clearly hiding. I like that a lot. And uh, he promises we'll get up at you know sunrise and we'll go together. And she wakes up and he's gone. Yeah. Which, I mean, who didn't see that coming? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I felt bad for her. Yeah, I feel really bad for her as well. Also, isn't he worried about her? I just, I, he is so sucked in. If he's not a host, he is addicted. Yeah. It's crazy. Um. I so I'm gonna be. I'm really curious to see what happens. And then one other thing. I and I mentioned this to you. When we met her in Roswell, she definitely had an English accent, and that is yeah. gone. Yeah. So she was just playing into the. I think she was just like British imperialism is yeah, fun to do. Yeah, because the Raj period <laughs> yeah. of of India yeah. was, you know, the British rule, which is it's. But also probably throw us off. Yeah. To to be like, if we heard like several American accents, we'd be like, oh, it's probably they probably wanted that twist of like the daughter being this like, hey, this yeah. actress. I just want to say. I love her. She's she's great. amazing. She's also beautiful, mm-hmm. but not like in a very traditional. Like she she, I love how dressed down she was. She suddenly she went from that sort of like very sort of like beautiful dress in Raj world to mm-hmm. now she's she looks like a cowboy. Just fit right in. Yeah, I, huge props to the casting department. I feel like they cast really well for yes. the show. Yeah, she's really very like malleable. Casting. Yeah, so uh, very great flexibility in their acting. I was a little sad that's that's it that we get between them. Yeah, but anytime we get a little bit of one story, same with Bernard this week, I expect we're gonna get a lot more. The of next episode them will just coming be that. up. Yeah. I hope so. I I kind of I love the Man in Black. Mm-hmm. And last season, as much as I enjoyed him, when I thought he was gonna die at the end, I was kind of okay with it. Yeah, and now seeing how much more there is for his story to go forward, he's sudden he's. He's rising to be one of my favorite characters, um, partially because I don't think he's human anymore. (laughs) So I'm just trying to keep us a little bit on on track with the episode here. Let's go ahead and talk about Bernard and Elsie. Okay. Because we're at the cradle now, and this is just about until the very end of the episode, which is where we'll close. This is kind of what I was waiting for all episode. Yes. We get to the cradle. What's weird about this scene at the cradle was there were clearly, like, QA guys, right, walking around. We saw, like, people walking in one scene. They were up on the second floor, and they looked down before they entered the cradle, and, like, two, like, QA guys, like, walked by with guns. Yeah, below them. So this place must have been somewhat cleared out already. And it's interesting to me that, like, if there are other humans there, she's not flagging them down, and she's also not outing Bernard. Interesting. So she must have some appreciation for him and be like actually trusting him right which we'll see as it as it goes forward because he goes to enter the cradle which now we learn is the physical backup location for all of the hosts. Where all the hard drives are yeah which we then learn is all little balls yep there's the white capsules which 
we I was personally surprised when we see Bernard's was white. Yeah. And that appears to be more of like a blackish ball, but that could be just lighting. Yeah. But he didn't have that special red capsule that James Delos had. Which is n- makes me think that the obvious thing, which is that red is a full reconstruction yeah. of a human. Which it's like they're scanning in brainwaves. Right. That's a human a ball. This is very minority report. Yeah. Right. It's and it's it's weird because now we I feel like we need a new term because hosts are sort of androids. Yeah. They are a life form that has been constructed from nothing. Yeah. Uh, They represent humanity and they've been built to attain their own level of consciousness, but they didn't actually come from anything other than a template. They're, They're not a carbon copy. Yeah. And now these would be, I mean, the only term I can come up with would be like a replicant, right? Like these are, these are actual copies of and i mean that's hard to say even because that's not what they are in we call them prints yeah prints prints because we printed out their bodies yeah and then they were imprinted with the human memories that's not bad host prints that's not humans so and i'm sure some at some point or another they'll come up with like a name for it yeah but we only know of james delos and then the one red ball which we find out later in this episode who that is and it's very quick how this goes down. We're like, okay, all the hosts are in here. Bernard's like, we need to find out what's going on. We hear that the cradle, which is this mainframe, which not only backs everything up, but ties into all the subsystems. Yep. The mainframe is keeping everyone out. It's why they can't override the security system. And because he, he was trying to find the source code. Right. Which is a reference to the Jake Gyllenhaal movie he was in. Oh, my gosh. I love Source Code. It's great, right? It's That's a, a movie. great movie. It's a very good movie. That's a super great movie. It's just like a solid Saturday afternoon movie yeah. where you're like, cool. I haven't seen it. I saw it only once, and it was in theaters, but I loved that movie. <laughs> it's just a good movie. It's just like a straightforward, here's the story. Yeah. You get the third act. It's awesome. Twist, and you're just like, oh. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Super good. So a lot of implications for this shows now <laughs> yeah with yeah. Code. uh okay so, so then he gets his head cut open yeah i thought it was a vr machine based on the trailers it mm-hmm. looked like he was going to get like plugged in matrix style yeah but we we've seen there aren't really ports to download the info it's either a wireless transmission or direct you just drop it in so they just this thing cuts his skull open and she's like oh let me put you down she's yeah. like you're not like those old hosts like this is gonna really hurt and he just says, he says, pain is just a program. That was nuts. Bernard, I didn't know you could be cooler. And future Bernard doesn't have a hole in his head, right? Not that we're aware of, but there is that little sweet little Healy magic oh, machine. Oh, yeah, you can just, yeah. The magic just, wand machine. Yeah, you just marker it up. Yeah, it looks like the light that they use at a dentist. Like, the <laughs> U, like it, it looks like the little UV light gun. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it just heals your skin, whatever that thing is. It's just. I wish I had that. That thing would be sweet. We need that technology. Right. I think they have it in Star Trek. In one of the Star Treks, they have something like that. It looks better than what's in Star Trek. (laughs) Yep. It looks really very helpful and beneficial to have. And so, yeah, they just, he's a husk. He just becomes a husk, Mm -hmm. right? For. Yep. He's just a body. Now the body's just there. And she's like looking into his eyes. That's crazy. And he's just kind of like, she's like, what's going on in there? And this is where the phase space comes in. Because now Bernard has journeyed into a virtual realm. And we see him open up and he looks down at his hands. And a lot of people said he was looking at Teddy's hands. And there are a lot of theories. People are saying like, oh, maybe 
Teddy is inside current Bernard now in the future. That's not actually Bernard anymore. Whoa. But I honestly think that was just the lighting. I don't think it was actually white guy hands. I think no, it was I think just really bright lighting. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people are just putting a little because bit. Because we, because it's Bernard, or at least we assume it's Bernard, but then he walks. Well, also other stuff happens while he's slowly exploring yeah. this dream space almost. Yeah. It's like subconscious space because a train hits. Right? Yeah. Well, While he basically, in. he takes the train into Sweetwater, right? Oh, he, in the dream space, or yeah. in his subconscious yeah. the cradle, he does, but also the real train. Oh, yes. While now, he's in. So that's that's a good question because is the cradle the same location as, like, the dome, like, where everyone else is? I think it is because when the train hits where everyone else is in the Mesa, then it shakes the cradle right and why do they have so much difficulty getting into the cradle that's unless it's because it's destroyed in the future and that's why Ooh, good question and this might also be so we're jumping a tiny bit ahead so i guess just very quickly the only thing that needs to be said about this cradle scene was that bernard is in sweetwater he's in a virtual world of sweetwater and all of the hosts are living in there and all the hosts are are there and it's like the classic story we've seen from season one and it's in that super widescreen format Yes, that's right. So we're now now we know that anytime we're in that um, aspect ratio, it's cradle. And this this explains how Ford was able to construct Bernard and test him and get him to be so lifelike without giving away this character. You just rush tests, and and he could have just done it all virtually. Yep. So we'll go back to Sweetwater at the end with Bernard. But yeah, so we get back to the train. Yep. We're on the train with Teddy with Dolores. They've got that poor QA scientist guy who's been following them around, <laughs> doing their bidding, and Dolores and Teddy have that aside where she says something akin to like, you know, I'm glad you decided to come along. Yeah. And he's like, well, you would have made me anyway, sort of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he he knows. Yeah, he's just like, and he's over. He's just like, well, I can't do anything. He knows. I can't do anything. I had no idea what the hell they were trying to do here. You know, we see a cut back to the Mesa in the control room. They were all pumped. They were like, we got the map back. Yep. And then the QA guy was talking to, you know, uh, Coolahan, who is the new head of security that parachuted in there with Stubbs. And he's like, our guys are better than your QA guys. The QA guy's like, no, you can't override the cradle. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And so, like, this is all sort of happening I believe we're guessing around the same time. Right. And then we see Dolores and Teddy leave the train. Like they leave the train and Teddy stays back and gives this guy a gun. The And the one bullet he picked up in Sweetwater. Oh my God. I was like, he's doing this to let him kill himself. Why is he doing yeah. that? And so then in my head, I was thinking like, Oh, doesn't the train maybe like end somewhere? Like, is it going to go like off a cliff or something? I was like, but that feels like such a weird, why would you do that? Yeah, why would they, like, what's the point, like, of killing this guy in, like, such a theatrical fashion? Yeah. (laughs) I don't quite understand what the point of that was. And, of course, then we see he exits the train. They pull the pin out. And... And I was. This was tr- something I was trying to figure out, like for a second, because I was like, I was like, wait, where are they going? And he's leaving him behind. Yeah. Or is that part of the train still going forward? And there, turns out he's stop. in the engine car. Yeah, he's 
super screwed. And it just rushes forward and with no plans on stopping into the Mesa, into the hub. <laughs> and that goes, and I, mean, I assume their train cars are still going. They'll probably just hit the brakes at some point before yeah. they get yeah. there. Or it'll, it'll even slow down or stop. With their undead army, right? Like yep. they have like a crazy undead army. <laughs> they do have, yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> the robots are basically the undead, which have you ever played a little video game called Red Dead Redemption? Oh, yes, I have. I don't, so there's a huge zombies mode in that game. Yep. If Rockstar even has the slightest bit of awareness of the culture, you just, in the new game, just use robots. Red Dead 2. Why are Robot people, DLC. Yeah. Like, if they do another zombies thing, it's like, what are you doing? That's a weird aside we don't need to get into. Yeah. But big explosion. Is that just because of the engine of the train? Because I felt like that was a massive explosion. Did they, they didn't get any... Uh, nitro? nitro. They didn't get any nitro. Not that I'm aware of. That's the Man in Black storyline. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. But the Confederates had the nitro when they were in that fight, when they were protecting Abernathy. That's what. So I thought that because they got robbed, right? They got robbed of all their guns yeah. and stuff, which is why they needed new ones. Is that right? Or what's his name needed new ones? Yeah, they did have explosions. I'm going to say that they had explosives. So they probably. I'm going to say they had filled it up with nitro. There might even now that we know this, there might even be stuff in the background that we can see them like loading the train up. I see it. Like, I don't know, but I'll probably go back and look now yeah. that we're having that discussion. But it, I, I was like, oh, that's a really big explosion. Yeah, because basically a fireball came out, and we saw in the map room it was it was Charlotte. Stubbs and the security guy and the lady with the neon glasses. Yeah, and they're like, "What's that? What's that GPS ping like? That's headed like right towards us." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "It's the train." <laughs> that was insane. So that was good, so crazy, so good. And that's definitely setting up for the next episode because yep. they're basically going to go invade. The rubber army is going to get into the hub. Now. Yeah, which is interesting because. You look at Maeve's storyline, and they were in the they were in the Mesa, and they left. Yeah, they're like, oh, we don't, we don't want to go in the Mesa. Yeah, this place is crazy. That's not where we want to be. Yeah, we need to get out to get my daughter. So it's very interesting to see their parallels and how they're really following very different paths. Yeah, on their own journeys, and when their paths cross, if one gets in the way of the other, it's going to be very curious to me to see how that all goes down. Admin off. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a weird and interesting. I think like ultimately I believe Dolores needs to sort of end the season alone. I think she needs to start yeah. off the next season on her own so that she's left to her own devices so that she can grow more as a character. I think so too. I so, think she needs to shed some of those dead weight. And I think Maeve needs to be given the chance to try and lead. Yes. So like right now she has this small band of people that are following along with her, but she's sort of is still actually controlling Hector. I think so. You know, she made Hector oh. fall in love with her through the code. Yeah. So other than other than the new woman, Hanyaro, like I feel like obviously the one QA guy doesn't want to be there. <laughs> like yeah. Sylvester's all for it, but the other guy doesn't want to be there. And Lee Sizemore is sort of iffy about the whole thing. Yeah. And that's the second to last scene. So let's we are now back in Westworld. They followed the tunnels. They got yep. West. They put Western clothes back on. They they changed back in to fit in, I guess. Yeah, to blend right. in so they don't stick out as much. It it's still curious to me that they do that because it almost feels to me like the smart play is to wear human clothing. 
oh like that's a good point normal clothes yeah because if you run into normal people they'll expect but to then maybe you. the hosts will know yeah but most of the hosts don't really seem awake yet that's true you know they haven't gone on that journey yeah most of the hosts are still on their own path right and a lot of them probably won't wake up like that's the thing i think that this season has taught us at the end of last season i figured this one would open up and they're all going to be aware and they're really Most not they're just doing their thing yeah they're the bartenders they're doing, just serving drinks now they have the ability to question their narrative at least possibly and they're 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 on even footing with the people but mm-hmm. as to whether or not they find their own way to this bicameral mind and hearing their own voice it remains to be seen so lee comes out they all come out and they've made it to the end of Maeve's journey, which is interesting. We have four more episodes left, and she's already now found her daughter. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about this scene? I loved how it was shot like um, Unforgiven, like an oh. like a nice, like classic, like sort of poetic western. Yeah. And you get these flashback shots and you're in Maeve's head. In terms of like filmmaking, like you're just in the moment. And she goes and um, just incredible acting from everyone. And she sits down and she's done it. Yeah. She finally achieved her goal. She got her daughter. Yeah. She walked through the field. She put her hand there the way yep. she remembered doing it. She She went back to her old life that is this weird distant memory. And she returns to it, and then the sudden, like, jerk reaction of the story where you find out that there's another mom. I mean, what did she think? Exactly. And I think she, and I think the moment you hear her voice, May, you see on May's face, she puts it together. And she's like, yeah, but why? Right. Of course. Like, why? And we don't even get a second to sit in that, which is nice, because then I think that she would be crushed and would probably give up. But then the fact that we have an action beat right after it was really nice. But it is when she's sitting there, she's going through it. I think she buys into it because that's all she she wants. It's such a human moment. Right. She gets lost in the narrative. Exactly. Exactly. She gets, lo- she gets lost in the narrative. And it was crazy because for at first I was like, what does she think is going to happen here? And then when she's having the discussion with the girl, yeah. I was like, oh, maybe she is like aware and she just wanted to like have closure. Maybe she's just saying goodbye. She wanted to see the kid was okay. She was just, like, crying when she was talking to her. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, she understands. But then when the mom shows up, clearly she didn't understand. So it was this weird back and forth while watching this. It, it's just shocking because Lee told her. Like, as much as Lee is the dumbest person on this show, yeah, he also is right all the time yeah. about a lot of things. He telegraphs so much of the story that's going to happen. You know, I, Yeah, I think it's perverse in so many ways because Maeve is now – or until the action beat is faced with a decision of, do I break my child's narrative and my child's life? But also it's so perverted to Maeve because Maeve is like, but this was my life. Right. And you did replace it. You know, I, that's what I kind of, that's what I love about this season specifically too, is that we're playing in this uncomfortable space of multiple realities of Lee saying, you're just a robot. But now that we've seen so much, it's like, yeah, but also Maeve's right. And, like, we really, like, the way this world was built is screwed up. And people are, like, destined to lose. Yeah. Because, like, she does care about her daughter. But also, her daughter has a mom that has been her mom for the whole of her life, as far as she knows. Unless Maeve can wake her up. But even if she can, 
it's like, oh, well, she knows this old reality, not this yeah. new one. You know? And then also, does she want to give her daughter all those memories of being killed by the... Right. Yeah. It's a very Hawkman, hot girl situation where, like, they've been, like, together forever, but at one point, like, their timelines got off. And he's like, Carter's like, D- don't you remember me? Like, uh, we were in love. And she's like, I don't know who you are. And he's like, you'll remember. But then she has to remember, like, all the times they were killed. And when they fall in love, they're going to die. It's just, like, a very tragic situation. <laughs> well, and then, so what's interesting to me is the tribe comes in. They start attacking them. Yeah. Which is everything she knew was going to happen. And also, by the way, like, new Maeve, the new mom, very pretty. And it was weird how sim- <laughs> weird how similar she was. To they looked Tandy very Newton, right? similar. Yeah, like they they obviously like the hair was dressed. I would have expected someone to look like really different. Interesting. Yeah. No, they built like they just they just swapped. built a yeah, yeah they built a new version of Maeve almost. So the tribe shows up, and it's weird what goes down because we see her little soldiers start to step in. You know, Hector takes a shot. We see. And you're all like move in uh, the snake lady. She moves in. And what I didn't understand was why isn't she just stopping them? Why doesn't she just she doesn't even try. So that's right. That's why I brought up the question earlier. I was confused. But I guess maybe she's so caught up in the she's moment. She's invested in it. Yeah. That she isn't quite in that mindset. Now. The guy, right, and he's listed. He's actually, like, given a credit on this episode. Okay, so he's going to be a big player. Yeah, so he has a line of dialogue with her, and this is outside of her memories because they were they were savages right. in the original narrative. And here they're following this journey that they know they're a part of, but they're doing it in a very different way way than it was before they don't seem entirely hostile we don't we also correct me if i'm wrong we don't see them attack the new mom correct they don't they just surround them yeah and he says to mave not to the new mom he says come with us where he says we're meant for the same path so he's aware that there's this journey they've gone on before yes oh my god there's gonna be a thing where we're gonna learn there was a there's a story even before mave's like like mom daughter storyline Some, something's going on with them yeah they're they're integral god i can't wait to find um, out um especially yeah. because emily the daughter of the man in black was like everyone always ignores them she's like people just think they're savages she's like i learned their language because it's they're like yeah. a big part of the story she mentions that when she pointed out like they're, they're fake arrows right the honeypot situation yep yeah so i don't know what they want i don't know what their ideal is yeah but it's interesting Maeve didn't just put an end to it yeah and she's sort of letting it at least in this moment play out we see Lee pull out the sat phone that he got in the prior episode and he's been hiding and he goes all right I'm gonna do it and he makes a call to get help which he could have done at any point before I I honestly I really didn't understand why when they went down that chute he didn't just close up hide that entrance barricade that little chute and just hide it and wait out yeah. and call for help like why didn't he just wait it out at that point i'm yeah i wonder <laughs> if he like is trying to play the he's trying to look for the best for sure opportunity yeah but then it's funny that this was the one and and he had that moment with Maeve before she went down he was like you don't want to go there yeah you know and she's like i have to make this choice i'm gonna go on my own she doesn't let anyone go with her yeah and he looks disappointed and now he's pulled out the phone because he's just like She's not 
what she said she was right she is still a part of the narrative he wrote these stories he knows how they're gonna i think that helped break him out of it yeah that he saw the narrative start to play out again he's like you're just you're still actually just robots but i think now whatever's gonna happen with the the loci the lakota i lakota, think lakota, yeah. yeah so whatever's gonna happen with the lakota tribe isn't gonna be what i think we all expect and so then he might end up regretting making that call <sighs> Because they're going to be like, actually, we have a way out. Yeah. Or something like that. Or something. Yeah. Something, I think. And then security's going to come in and, like, ruin it. And then we're going to find Dolores. Like, it's just like, oh, no, you guys are actually, like, the enlightened mm-hmm. story. And I can't have that. Or something. And so I, that's going to be, I think, his big mistake. Because she said to him, like, if you try something like that again, the one time. That's you right. Him, she was like, I'll kill you. Like, I won't give you another chance. And now, if he gets the daughter killed, oh my god! Yeah, it's. I think this is this may be his undoing. And for a moment, though, I thought like the way they looked at each other I was like, oh, are they falling for each other? Ooh, you know, or there's like something there because there was yeah. a whole thread with him and her where she was just like, she asked him, you know, did you have a ex character? <gasps> That's right. You know, and like we know that he's like been very like love lost and like forlorn yeah so like there's gonna be some level of conflict but i wouldn't be shocked if they somehow ended up together interesting i think we're gonna have to see them get pulled apart now that they finally sort of like to get on the same side again right they're gonna have to they're gonna need one another and they're gonna come back together i like it yeah i think that's where we're headed with that story i'm not necessarily like super shipping it but i'm no no, i'm in for it i'm in for it i'm in for it i'm not gonna fight it i mean Maeve could do better but i think he's a i think i think he's a a better guy than he lets on i think he's like a jerk for for no good reason i think he's interesting i think also i think Maeve enjoys having him around in a weird way yeah i she he's like her pet yeah yeah (laughs) and I, i i think that's kind of Maybe sort of a thing of hers. <laughs> so we get to the end of the episode. Yep. Now we're, we're back, back in the cradle. In, yeah. We're back in that aspect ratio. The second you saw that dog, did you know what was going on? No. Oh, so I had the fortune of rewatching season one. Yeah. And there were five hosts that were made. Uh-huh. And uh, they were Ford's old family, like <sighs> Kid Ford. And he says he, he had says a dog. Bernard, yeah, he says about how... He says his favorite vacation, like they had a dog and about how their dog died. Yeah. And they had to bury the dog. And now his dog is back. Yeah. Because that dog stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I was like, there are no dogs in Westworld. Yeah. But it leads us up to the player piano. Bernard walks in and it's very surreal seeing him walk into this version of Sweetwater. Yeah. He walks into the saloon and the player piano is playing. But who's playing the piano? Guess who, guys? It's Ford. Yeah. Anthony <laughs> Hopkins. Did not know we were going to get more Anthony Hopkins on this show. And what I love, the folks who work on the show do make decisions I like. One of those decisions, not going up to Ford's face, not zooming up, not being like, do you get it? We end on his reflection. So you just get enough. That's something I love about the show. You always get just enough. And I feel so satisfied and teased at the same time. Yeah, it was amazing. And he was expecting Bernard. He was waiting for him to come. Which means that Ford lives in the cradle. Yes. He is the reason the cradle is improvising and is protecting the hosts and keeping them out. He's like a crazy supercomputer Tron. He's the ghost in the shell now. He's the ghost in the shell. He's the ghost in the shell. Yeah. 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 
That's so good. I loved it. I love that ending. He's he's like the architect in the Matrix. Yeah. So. And I like this version a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> and by a little bit, I mean a lot more. <laughs> uh, so, and that sets up next week, which I'm so excited for. The, like, to come next week stuff, I had no... They were just like, here's shots from next week. And I was like, no, I've got... I have no idea what's going on, except for there was one shot that I was like, oh, that confirms a theory that I had. Yeah, they... We like to... We started talking about the Here Comes Network next week preview, and it just seems mostly like we're going to get... The conversation to, between Ford and Bernard. Yep. And we're going to get an assault on the Mesa. Yeah. And that, multiple Bernards. Yes. Right. Oh, Charlotte's going to find out about Bernard. Right. Charlotte, Charlotte finds, out about, finds out, Bernard. out about Bernard. And then also, is it? Yeah. So is it Bernard in the cradle or is it Arnold? Because it's so I Ford don't think there is. Old friend, right? I don't think there is an Arnold because Arnold died before they started doing those tests on Delos. Oh. So, like, they never would have scanned Arnold's brain in. They wouldn't have had ever had the technology. Right. It would have been even worse than Delos, which was pretty right. bad. So, I don't think there is an Arnold. There's Amazing. only a Bernard. Got it. Um, But he sees Bernard as his old friend. They've been working together for well over a decade now. Yeah. You know? Uh, even if he's been using him. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, there's that. I'm very excited for the assault on the Mesa. It's going to be incredible. And I'm very nervous about Charlotte finding out about Bernard. I'm scared any time anyone finds out because I don't want anything bad to happen to him. I'm fine with Sylvester knowing. I'm fine with Elsie knowing. I don't need anyone else to ever find out. Yep, I agree. (laughs) If Bernard is dead by the end of the series, I'm going to be so pissed off. (laughs) You're going to expect letters. (laughs) Which, like, I mean, Arnold killed himself to save Dolores at the beginning. That's how the whole series starts, basically. So if the series ends with him dying to save Dolores, I wouldn't be shocked. Okay. But it would be better if Dolores dies to save Arnold, <sighs> to save Bernard. At Interesting. The end. So Bernard goes on. There's a that's that's my one new theory for the end of the Interesting. series. Interesting. Which supposedly Jonathan Nolan and um, Lisa Joy, Lisa Joy, the two of them wrote the, the entire outline for all five seasons before the first season was shot. Great. So like this is a done packaged deal. I love it. And J.J. Abrams probably had a third bullet journal that was like yeah. empty because he was and just like— And I'm sure like, things are changing. You know how many going. seasons you have ahead of time? <laughs> what a, like, that's incredible. <laughs> what a miracle. Yeah. What's that like? <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, like that guy's got his hands on a lot of pots. Oh, he's running around. <laughs> he's running around everywhere. Omar, this has been our longest episode of Watchworld ever. So thank you for putting up with that. Oh, my God. Thank you for letting me gab about <laughs> it. I had so much watching it. I was like, I, w- this is going to be a five-hour episode. I didn't know. I didn't know. I actually thought we would have less to talk about only because it felt so story-focused. Yeah. But now that we broke it down, there were so many motifs to other series. There yeah. were so many story beats that we, until you break it down, I don't think I felt like it was as important of as an episode as I now do feel it was. Yeah. So much to digest. It was great. Gosh. What a good show. What a great season. Yep, I agree. Omar, thank you for coming. And if people want to hear you on other podcasts or watch you on the internet or follow your tweets, which I almost forgot one last detail. Uh A month ago, Anthony Hopkins tweeted himself out playing a piano. (sighs) He Good. Man, everyone involved in this show is good at it. What a jerk. Uh (laughs) But if people want to follow you for your own cryptic tweets, yeah, how can they do that? My scary little because you're sort of the Robert stuff. Ford of your own series. Hey, that's not that's a very kind of you, and I'm going to turn everything on them at some point. <laughs> if you enjoy RPGs, improv, comedy, stories, things connecting, uh, check out Thank You for Questing and the Zeitgeist Network. I run that with Chris, Mia, and Kelly. 
we are making up a story as we go. There's no plan, but things are starting to connect and it's getting really creepy and very fun, but also still a lot of laughs. If you just want to chat about television, Chris Bramante and I have Sunnydale Study Group, which we come out with every Monday where we just talk about Buffy. It's not a rewatch podcast anymore. We're just talking about the show. So this week's is we're doing um, Pokemon Go in Sunnydale because Chris doesn't know anything about Pokemon and he just tries to come up with stuff. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Omar Najam and I'm also Omar Najam Film on Instagram. And those are, I believe, all the things I have. And I am at Christian underscore Humes on Twitter and Instagram. We are all on the Zeitheist Network. It's a community of podcasts, podcasters, and creators. We have a lot of fun shows. I'm also on the Unranked Video Game Podcast. I do Wishboning and the Zeitheist Podcast with John Paul Murphy, who will be back next week. He is away in France, so he's getting his uh, Napoleon world on, I guess, yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time. So tweet at us, share with us, hashtag watch world and we'll be back next week but until then omar come with us we are meant for the same path